Well, a very warm welcome to you. This is A Reason for Hope, and we are live with you for the next hour to receive your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right. If you have questions about the Bible on your heart and mind, maybe a verse or a passage of Scripture, perhaps uh, you're walking through something in your life and would like a biblical perspective, maybe a biblical perspective on world uh, world views, world events, anything of that nature, any honest question seeking an answer from God's Word, we are here to humbly seek that in the Word with you. That's right, not our opinions or take on it, but uh, an answer straight from the Word is our endeavor on the show. We're very glad you are with us and also with us today is Pastor Sean Richards in the studio, as is often the case. How are you doing today? Good. I got asked a question I could not answer. Really? Yeah. What is the flavor of a raspberry? Is it sour or tart? Wow. There's nothing in the Bible about that? Not relatively, well, no. Well, then we're lost, I guess. Yeah. If someone, I am. If someone trots out the original language in response to that question, you know you're dealing with uh, a shaky source. That would be the only thing I could contribute right. to that. So maybe no questions on fruit today. Yeah, that, that, that might that's be another rule as well. Yeah. Or the fruit of the Spirit. We fruit of the, oh, yeah, fruit of the yeah. Spirit. There we go. Also with us is uh, Pastor Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's always great to be here and uh, uh, just uh, walk by faith. We never know what kind of questions we're going to get, but we know where to turn for the answers. That's, that's right. the Word of God. It makes it very yeah. exciting indeed. Well, Pastor Scott is the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, and a reason for hope is a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. So you can join us on our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the Watch Live tab right there, or on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll find us there. We have an app for your mobile device. Go to your app store, search for Calvary Christian Fellowship. Did I mention Calvary Christian Fellowship? It's Calvary Christian Fellowship, and you'll find us there <laughs> also. On... <laughs> Repetition is your friend. Right. Yeah. I get it. Calvary yeah. Christian Fellowship for Tucson. Uh, also on Roku and Apple TV, you'll be able to watch us on your TV screen. That's kind of cool as well. Uh, and on YouTube, uh, the channel there is A Reason for Hope. So search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. And that is our channel there. If you're listening to us on Reach Radio or Radio Affiliate, you are listening to our last show pre-recorded. So we're, we're not live per se, but do send us your questions at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And we will get to your question on our next show. And do consider when you're not on your drive time, maybe joining us on one of those other aforementioned platforms where you can send us your questions on the live chat. Uh, my name's Dave Robson. I'll be hosting today and personally fielding those questions as they come on in. And so very much so, you're part of our live broadcast. And as was mentioned, the show is guided by your questions. Always very exciting. You can also follow Pastor Scott on Twitter at Scott R for H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H on Twitter. And you put uh, kind of little updates on world events and yeah. things yeah. like that right on there and yeah uh, uh spiritual issues uh current controversies uh it's a uh, kind of a lively site yeah. obviously uh we get all kinds of responses and um, opportunities to uh, hopefully uh, look at uh, twitter uh, as a uh, a place where we can do some missions work and boy there's there's people out there that need reaching it's kind of the mm -hmm. wild and woolly west if you will of uh of social media right. there and um you know we got a got into an interaction um earlier uh with a, a person that said that uh the account of lot and his two daughters in the book of genesis said that uh the bible uh actually advocates 
uh, having incest and wow. <laughs> tried to uh, uh, say uh, probably that's a no. Yeah. And uh, then immediately someone else chimed in about it's all just uh, historical. It's just uh, fan Fan fiction fiction. anyway. Mm. Uh, A person that uh, had a lot of tweets about being tolerant and stuff. So, you know, we we get into these back and forths and these uh, these battles. We try not to get too caught up in a lot of the stuff that uh, passes these days for uh, Christian interaction. Really, it's kind of uh, circle the wagons and shoot each other stuff. We try to stay away from that. We do try to comment on any kind of uh, prophetic events that are significant going on in the world. Uh, we try to give you uh, takes on social issues uh, that we consider uh, big, biblically significant. A lot of stuff uh, going on. Uh, the Joe Biden making some very strong statements uh, about being uh, pro-abortion uh, leading up into the election. That appears mm-hmm. to be a uh, simmering issue, and so uh, we try to give very reasoned biblical uh, takes about what it means to be pro-life and uh, how important it is that we stand uh, for the lives of uh, the unborn, the most defenseless people in our society, that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's really a great way to be able to interact. And uh, uh, we, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, site because we were at a certain level of followers. And then uh, last week, uh, apparently in fear of Elon Musk taking over the platform, uh, there was a, um, uh, a reaction uh, that a lot of uh, uh, Christian sites uh, went through uh, where uh, suddenly we were dropped like 20% of our followers, like overnight. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, we've seen people kind of come uh, finding us back again. So if uh, you'd like to join on in uh, and uh, get those updates, we try to update it throughout the day. And on the days that I'm not on the program here, uh, we provide uh, a reason for hope highlights. Mm. Uh, I uh, sit down and try to uh, summarize the questions that we get into and uh, give you uh, some of those nuggets to be able to, to take away uh, from the conversation. So check it yeah. out. Uh, as always, we have a very lively and consistent group on uh, Facebook, and uh, we yeah. definitely enjoy the interactions that we get there. The most important thing is get us your questions. We want to go where you want to go on this broadcast. Scratch you where you itch, so to speak. Yep. Not try to answer questions that aren't on your mind, but uh, get to the things that are really on your heart. See what the Word has to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, keep in mind our website, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com, is a good uh, fallback place. Um, sometimes there's a you know Facebook-specific issue or YouTube, perhaps. Um, so our website, you know, you can jump onto another platform. Sometimes there's issues that are beyond, you know, our control from this end. So do be aware of those other platforms too, in case we lose you there. But yeah, on Twitter, if you're a Twitter person, uh, Scott Arthur H, uh, you can follow all those uh, things that Scott, Pastor Scott was talking about there. Um, well, Sean, I know it's a big ask, but would you like to pray for us? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, thank you that we had the chance to be here. We ask that you would be here as well to not only speak your word, but also communicate your heart. We're open and ready to receive it and ask that by your grace we would relate it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, right. Pastor Scott, you mentioned uh, what I was going to say. We'd like to give you know prophecy updates as things happen, and you mentioned there were some yeah. things on your hearts to, heart to share. Would you like yeah, to yeah. Uh, a, a number of them coming together. We'll probably be uh, able to talk a little bit more about them uh, in depth as events unfold. Hmm. Uh, but it does appear that um, the uh, the pattern that we talk about prophetically of birth pains uh, that Jesus spoke of uh, that were uh, prophetically significant events seem to build to a fever pitch, and then lull for a time. Well, we've gone through a bit of a lull 
uh, particularly events in Israel, which is really kind of shocking. But I think that lull is uh, coming to an end. Uh, Israel finds themselves in a very dicey place, especially regarding the uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict that is going on right now. They have uh, assiduously uh, not tried to support, obviously, Vladimir Putin and uh, his uh, territorial grab going on there. But uh, neither did they want to take a step too far and uh, alienate whatever diplomatic ties they had with the Russians. Well, uh, Ukraine uh, made a request of Israel uh, for them to be able to share intelligence because, uh, as is prophetically significant, the Gog and Magog uh, invasion prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 38 talks about an alliance between a, a Russian leader and one of the invading nations of the coalition mentioned there is Persia, modern Iran. Uh, well, uh, because uh, Israel uh, has uh, definitely their guard up regarding uh, Iran and uh, their uh, continued uh, weekly declaration that their uh, goal is to destroy Israel, death to the little Satan, the United States is the, the great Satan, of course. Uh, one of the uh, things that they have been developing is their drone technology. And Israel, uh, for their lights, uh, has uh, made some uh, real strides in terms of coming up with some uh, countermeasures that can uh, definitely limit the effectiveness of drone attacks. Well, uh, Ukraine requested that Israel provide them, first of all, uh, their version of uh, anti-drone weaponry. Israel decided not to do that. They didn't want to make that step of arming one side against the other in this particular conflict for a very important reason. Uh, Russia seems to have uh, taken a, a moderated uh, position as far as any kind of aggression against Israel. Uh, remember, Russia is uh, very well ensconced in Syria right now. They control two uh, major deepwater ports on the Syrian coast. They have a major air force base and army depot in, in mid-Syria right now. And uh, the attacks uh, and the, the go, going backs and forth that uh, we see going on in Syria is usually Israel versus uh, Iranian sites. Israel doesn't attack any of the Russian sites that are there. Uh, and uh, they have tried to attempt to uh, maintain a, uh, a diplomatic openness with Russia uh, while fighting one of Russia's key client states, the Iranians, which is a real balancing act. Well, that balancing act is kind of getting upset with the uh, Ukrainian thing because the Ukraine was requesting that Israel send them weapon systems. They decided not to. However, uh, they made a decision to send Ukraine intelligence and uh, information that could help them defeat the technology of the Iranian drones that the Russians are now using against the Ukrainians. Well, that was not uh, met with uh, favor in Russia. Uh, we were told on uh, Joel Rosenberg's All Israel News website earlier today, a member of Russian President Vladimir Putin's inner circle of advisors threatened this week that Moscow is ready to sever diplomatic ties with Israel. Uh, the threat came via former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev, who publicly warned that any Israeli effort to supply arms to the Ukraine will destroy all diplomatic relations between our countries. Medvedev wrote uh, on a social media platform, Telegram, Israel appears to be ready to supply weapons to the Kiev regime, a very reckless move 
would destroy all bilateral relations between our countries. Medvedev is currently the deputy head of the Russian Security Council. So uh, again, uh, we are told that uh, Israeli Diaspora Affairs Minister Nachman Shai uh, posted on Twitter that due to Iran reportedly transferring ballistic missiles to Russia for use in the Ukraine war, there is no longer any doubt where Israel should stand in this bloody conflict. Well, as soon as uh, you know the the old uh, saying goes goes uh, into place, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, I guess in this case, the friend of my enemy is my enemy as well, if you can follow that particular line of reasoning there. Uh, and so because Israel has made these moves based upon the involvement of Iran uh, in this war, and by the way, there was another very interesting uh, development earlier where Iranian Republican Guard Corps units are now uh, being identified as being actively involved in Crimea in um, the southern part of the uh, former Ukraine down there. So uh, the idea of them becoming directly involved in a conflict uh, like this, the Iranians being involved with the conflict, the Iranians uh, giving ballistic missiles and uh, drone technology to the Russians to fight this battle uh, is, is really significant because there has been a lull in uh, conflict in Israel over the last month, believe it or not, this is really odd. Uh, there hasn't been a single uh, uh, airstrike on any Syrian position, Iranian, uh, Syrian, uh, Hezbollah, you name it, uh, for an entire month now. There's been a month of silence as far as these attacks are concerned, which is really, really strange and really, really unusual. Now, why is that going on? Well, uh, we can only speculate. But I think it probably has something to do with uh, the, the different gyrations and the different going back and forth of uh, what's going on here. Suffice it to say, uh, prophecy watchers aren't really surprised by all of this. The warming of relations to a certain extent between Russia and Israel is sort of surprising considering what we know about the future that, uh, is, that Russia is going to lead a coalition of nations in an invasion of Israel. We believe this will happen during the tribulation period, that a lot of things have to happen. Uh, among them, Israel has to drop their guard in order for this invasion to take place. Mm -hmm. The only way that's going to happen is if Israel makes uh, the seven-year covenant uh, with the Antichrist that we're told about in the book of Daniel, the covenant of death, as it's described in uh, Isaiah chapter 28, and uh, is so confident in the Antichrist power, who's like the beast and who's able to make war with him, uh, that they literally drop their guard. They're going to be considered under the uh, sheltering arms, if you will, of the Antichrist during that time. But we do believe that uh, the uh, these same powers, although kept at bay by the Antichrist's rise to power, it's going to be like putting a heavy lid on a boiling pot. Mm. Same issues are going to still be there. Uh, there's going to be that opportunity with Israel's guard down to fulfill uh, the, Iran's great desire to wipe out uh, Israel. Uh, Russia has never been a friend of uh, Israel at all. Uh, and so uh, we, we do see some of these uh, uh, positionings taking place here. The other thing uh, that is uh, hot and heavy news and will be in the next couple of weeks is there's going to be another election in Israel. Uh, they seem to have one about every six months or so because nobody can put together a government. Uh, but uh, the, there's uh, 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 some comments 
to suggest that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu may be able to uh, become the ultimate comeback kid and uh, put together a coalition where he, again, will be prime minister of Israel. But right now, Israel only has a caretaker prime minister. They don't have an effective uh, majority in their parliament. Uh, Yair Lapid, who is acting as uh, the uh, sort of caretaker prime minister, uh, kind of a weak position for Israel to be in. Maybe that explains why uh, they're sort of leaving the uh, Syrians, the Iranians alone. You don't attack us. We won't attack you. Israel's not really in the strongest position it could be at this particular point. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel's anybody's fool and just because uh, a particular person's in the prime ministership that that in any way, shape, or form uh, downgrades the Israeli Defense Force's ability to be able to respond to a conflict. I don't believe that to be the case. But, uh, boy, in the Middle East, you just can't show any sort of weakness. Mm. And now it does appear that although the Ukrainian conflict is thousands of miles away from Israel, Israel's being drawn into it. Uh, and uh, it does appear that the Russians are not very happy about this sort of thing. And uh, Joel Rosenberg, our good friend on his uh, All Israel News website, and if you don't uh, subscribe to All Israel News, it's a really good thing to have uh, as a daily update on your computer. That's allisrael.com. Mm. You can find that there. Uh, but uh, Joel said this, this is the most tense moment that I can recall in Israeli relations with the Kremlin in decades. It's significant to many Bible-believing Christians and religious Jews for a very specific reason. The prophecies found in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39, foretell a day when Russia and its dictator will build an alliance with Persia and Turkey and other countries to turn against Israel and attack the Jewish state in the last days of history. He said, while it is too early to draw any conclusions, geopolitical trends in recent years, indeed in recent months, are intriguingly consistent with the war of Gog and Magog prophecies. Some Christians are openly asking, is Vladimir Putin Gog, the one who's referred to as the head of the nation of Magog in Ezekiel? Uh, I do not believe uh, that we can know that until the proper time. Certainly, uh, he has demonstrated some Gog-like tendencies there. I don't see Vladimir Putin going anywhere in the foreseeable future as far as his control and power and so on. Uh, you know, again, Israel doesn't want to uh, come under the ire of the Russian bear. I think it's very key. Uh, Israel needs Moscow's tacit approval towards Israeli operations to destroy Iranian weapons, caches, and bases in Syria. Uh, Israel wants to protect the ability of, uh, of uh, Jewish agencies to operate in Russia and facilitate any Russian Jewish person or family emigrating to Israel as the Russian economy suffers and poverty rates soar and so on. Uh, Yair Lapid has made it clear that he personally sides with the Ukraine and believes that Putin is wrong by illegally invading Ukraine. Uh, but uh, once again, Ga uh, Benny Gantz, the defense minister, ruled out that Israel will be selling weapons there. They can provide, however, some kind of intelligence support. So. All of this is to say, uh, looks like things are starting to uh, bubble towards uh, another uh, significant birth pain going on involving Israel in that region. It's fascinating to me that even a conflict like uh, the conflict between Iran and the Ukraine inevitably gets Israel involved. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, you know, again, realize these are signs of the times that should encourage us because we do see the main players coming on the stage 
as far as uh, end times prophecy is concerned, Israel being back in the land, Russia being a superpower, Russia having a previously unheard of alliance, say, with Iran and so forth. So uh, when uh, we see these things begin to happen, look up for your salvation draws near. We have every reason to be optimistic uh, regarding the future of the world because we know that when Jesus comes back, he's first coming back for us at the rapture. And then when he returns, he's going to right this world gone wrong. Yeah. But uh, dark days ahead before all that happens. Yeah. yeah. And hearing these things, thank you for sharing that. It can be overwhelming because it's like, well, what, what can I what can I do <laughs> about it? But like you Look said. Look up for the day of our salvation draws near. That's right. Yeah, yeah. guard our hearts and make sure that we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem as yeah. we're called to do. One other thing uh, that I, I, I almost forgot to mention and this ties into the what can we do aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, the nation of Australia uh, mentioned, their prime minister mentioned, they're giving serious consideration uh, to uh, not just, they've made a decision not just to move their uh, embassy out of West Jerusalem as the United States moved our embassy there. Australia did as well. New government comes in, they say, no, 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 we're going to send it back to Tel Aviv because uh, we want to be even-handed towards Israel and the Palestinians, uh, they uh, went so far as to say that uh, Israel obviously saying uh, we don't support this, this is really a, a diplomatic uh, disaster that Australia has wandered into. Uh, but uh, Australia is kind of doubling down and saying, well, maybe we will just come out and support uh, the, uh, the founding of a Palestinian state and uh, give them an embassy as well. Which, so if you're waiting for the curse of God to be on Australia. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so when, when getting back to your uh, question, Dave, you know, what can we do about this? Mm -hmm. Hey, talk to your elected officials. Let them know that it's important to you as a born-again believer that we stand as a firm ally of Israel. Now, mm -hmm. so far, so good as far as that's been concerned, but that can change in a New York minute, especially uh, in light of uh, the, the winds that are blowing, even with the elections coming up here in the United States. Let those you're supporting in the upcoming elections know that's an issue that's important to you. Find out uh, where uh, candidates you would consider supporting, both for uh, statewide and uh, for national office. Find out where they stand on that and, uh, and support those who stand uh, firmly behind Israel. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, God's promise to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So that's mm -hmm. one thing we can do. But the most important thing that I think we can do is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Because as we are praying God's blessing on them, hey, it's uh, a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned because he told Abraham he'd bless those who bless you. If you want the blessing of God in your life, that's a good place to begin. <laughs> I think we probably <laughs> so, do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. We have a lot of questions coming in already, which we're very grateful for, but it might be a speed round situation like we had uh, last time again, um, which is very exciting. We had a question from Mac. He said, someone asked, um, why would I judge the young people when we were once young doing the same thing, meaning like partying, drinking, and having a good time, et cetera? And if I can, I don't know, maybe tailor this question, like how do we, I guess, how do we parent? How do we be an example? You know, the, the saying you can't put a, old head on young sh uh, shoulders, you know, we were all... Oh, that's a good old saying. Yeah, it's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to with our kids or whatever, you know, we, we kind of learned the hard way those things. Um, you know, obviously we don't, hopefully we don't judge because we were once there, but how can we, I guess, guide the young people and put that old head on young shoulders? Is there a, kind of a biblical view of parenting in that way and guiding our young people? 
And Sean, you're, you're the student minister at one of your many roles here at, uh, at church as well. And so I'm sure you see a lot of mistakes going on that you wish you could uh, <laughs> guide different ways. But. Well, again, I have my own series of mistakes, but I try to just take this approaching from just a right and wrong perspective. Just because someone is doing something doesn't mean what they're doing is right. So if someone comes up with the excuse of saying, well, they did it, therefore I can do it too, you can just remind them, yeah, but that just means two people are wrong now. Right. And one of them's older than you. That yeah. doesn't change anything. If on the other hand, they have a skewed view of morality and saying that, oh, well, your parents, they're the model of God in your life. So therefore, they're always going to act like God. That has set up a lot of people for spiritual disaster. And we need to understand that if we put God as the standard and model, then you can if you're in a parenting position or if I'm in a teaching position, I'll openly confess to the kids and saying, hey, I messed up this week. Can you guys pray for me? But if on the other hand, you're in a position as a parent where you wouldn't want to, and I'm grateful the guy to my right, your left, didn't model this at all, but making excuses for yourself out of arrogance and saying, well, it's different when I did it, or making excuses for yourself and setting that kind of poor witness, that's not, again, pointing people to Jesus. And if a parent, a parent or a mentor or a teacher's position is to model God's heart to your kids, it is hopefully going to sometimes be, do the right thing, imitate me as I imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. But other times it's going to be confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, James mm -hmm. 5.17. Make sure that both are modeled and you won't get caught into that trap of, but he did it too, because that right. doesn't answer the issue. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Anything to add to that? No, I, I think that that covers it. You know, I think uh, one of the, uh, the the compass headings that I think both sides need to take in these kind of conflicts, like, well, you did it, or or even a parent going, well, you know, I can't really feel like I can uh, talk about biblical morality because I didn't live out biblical morality at that age. Um, you know, I, I think Ephesians chapter 6 has a lot to say about this uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 it says uh, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right mm. you know if you love that, that verse if you're well if <laughs> yeah you do but a closer examination shows that maybe it's not as cool as we might think yeah because notice what it says obey your children's in the Lord mm. um, you know that's a twofold thing first of all if you're a believer in Christ What's God's call for you to do? Obey your parents, whether you feel like they're being reasonable or not. Maybe they've got a, a little wisdom, maybe a little uh, few years on you. Maybe you can avoid some mistakes. Uh, and there's a promise. It says, this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. that may be well with you. You may live long on the earth. Who wouldn't want to have that happen? But notice it says, obey them in the Lord. It doesn't say obey them if they're being, you know, arbitrary or encouraging you to do something that that's destructive because they're them, because they're them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think of one situation I was in after I became a Christian. Uh, I was the first born again Christian in my family, and uh, my dad was really exasperated by all of that. You know, he pretty much had my life planned out. I was going to be the next lawyer in the law firm, and you know, I'm talking to them about wanting to go into the ministry and all this. And I remember one point he was really exasperated. He goes. Why don't you go out and get drunk and find a girl like other kids your age? <laughs> and I was like, this is like really weird. Yeah. I, I remember thinking, I, I said, well, Dad, you're the attorney that has to get up at 2 in the morning when one of your client's kids goes out and gets busted for drunk driving. Mm -hmm. You want me to do that too? He sat there and he thought, he goes, well, 
Maybe not. Yeah. So that was a situation, right, where if I had obeyed his command, literally, that would have been destructive to me. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I honored him in that I wanted to live my life in a way that didn't bring dishonor to the family. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's an important thing. So if you're on the receiving end of all of that, you know, the, well, my parents, you know, they weren't any great. Well, okay, maybe they weren't, but this is between you and the Lord. Yeah. You know, and you can you can live a different life that way. As far as parents are going, uh, verse 4, I, I, this is so convicting. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, mm -hmm. but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Uh, you want to provoke your kids to wrath, Here, here's some advice for you. I can tell you the shortest distance between two points provoking any kid to wrath. Adopt this as your credo. Don't do as I do, do as I say. Mm. Because I'll tell you what, when kids, especially when they're teenagers, I don't know if it has something to do with the hormones kicking in or whatever, but man, oh man, do they have finely tuned hypocrisy meters. Mm -hmm. They can spot it a mile away. Mm -hmm. And none of us, obviously, are gonna live uh, a perfect track record and all this. But if you don't wanna provoke your kids to wrath, be consistent with them. Doesn't mean they might not blow a gasket when you tell them, no, you're not going to be able to do this, or no, I'm not going to support this. But that consistency, and I throw it back to you, Sean, as someone that was kind of raised under this philosophy in the home, consistency is so key. My, my kids had to see that I wasn't just a pastor when I stood behind a pulpit. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the same person in the home that I was outside the home. And having that kind of consistency, even if, you know, and I'm sure, John, there were times you probably felt like Mark Twain did about his old man that, you know, when 14, he thought he was the biggest ignoramus to ever walk the face of the earth. By the time he turned 21, he was shocked at how much the old man had learned in seven years. You know, when you're a teenager, you obviously, you know, and I think it's just a developmental thing in a lot of ways, you just kind of want to establish your own identity, want to do your own thing. You kind of don't want to be just like your parents, which is why you find their music so offensive and so on. <laughs> but, but when you're consistent, you know, when you're not reactive to your kids, but responsive in terms of saying, okay, yeah, these aren't, in a sense, my kids. They're on loan to me from God. Um, the Lord wants me to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, that's something that's far better caught like a good infe infection than taught and say, you will listen to me, and you know you will write out the book of Proverbs this to today, and, and so on, and, and I'll be back uh, in a little while, I'm, I'm going down to have a few brews with the guys or something like that. Right. Uh, you don't wanna do that. So, you know, Mac, as far as your question goes, I think it's really a good one, but I think we do get some pretty good scriptural guidelines, both for uh, those on the receiving end of parenting and those on the giving end of parenting, uh, right there in Ephesians 6. Yeah, very good. Mac, thank you for that question. Great question. A uh, question from Yari about uh, confession. Um, is basically what role does confession play in our forgiveness of sin? When Jesus died on the cross, did he forgive past, present, future sin, or does confession play a role in forgiveness? Yeah, there's a nasty mishandling uh, of Scripture people get into when they say, if you don't confess your sin, you're not forgiven of your mm -hmm. sin because First John 1, 9 says, if, not since, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's an important distinction, the if versus since, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the uh, 
issue a lot of people make because they'll say, oh, so uh, since I confessed my sins, he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness. No, it's noting the fact that if you confess your sins, there is a cleansing that takes place. Now, the question is, what is that cleansing for, salvation or sanctification? And that's what the word sanctification means, to cleanse and set aside for a new purpose. When old theologian, you'd know his name if I mentioned him, but I don't remember it, so I won't. Uh, He said, fish swim, birds fly, Christians repent. We're always confessing. We're always realigning ourselves with Jesus because there's always something new we find out about him and ourselves by contrast. But if we make the mistake of thinking, I'm saved because I do this or because I said this, even good things like my sin, then that means I have a role to play in my ultimate standing before God, and that's false. It is by grace that you've been saved. But the abundance of our Christian life, the fruit that we bear unto salvation, is, of course, something that God has allowed by his Spirit to do in and through our lives, and also something that we can choose to do on a daily basis. The concern that is oftentimes leveled is people take good things like confession and make them ultimate things when that is not simply the case. Make sure that when you come to an interpretation, you don't just test the interpretation, but also the conclusion, because that's, again, something we oftentimes run into a lot when it comes to false doctrine, even well-intended misunderstandings of doctrine. Oh, so this is true about the Bible, and this is true about the Bible, therefore this is true about the Bible. You have to test that part as well. Yes, it is true that we should confess our sins. Yes, it is true that Jesus will forgive us our sins if we confess them, but it's not a salvation issue. It's an enjoying him more issue. Because the more we forsake our sin and live, the more we realize what eternal life is. The less we do so, the less we're enjoying him. doesn't mean you're going to hell right. because your uh, debits and credits aren't adding up on your confessional <laughs> yeah. meter. Mm-hmm. It's because, that's again, Egyptian paganism and Islam, not Christianity. It's centered around the finished work of Jesus Christ and confessing because you're saved and coming back to him because he's received you, not for his reception. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can't add anything to that. I yeah. think that's great. Very good. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Great question. Thank you, Yari, for it. A uh, question from Scott Stale. I don't know if that's your name or location, either a wonderful, um, about Goliath, the account of uh, Goliath. Why did Goliath fall on his face instead of uh, back? Most people hit in the face fall on their back. I'm sorry if that's ever happened to you, Scottsdale. Um, was this divine intervention? And also, what was the purpose of the five smooth stones? Was it in case he missed, or did he have four brothers? There's different... Well, uh, let, let me I, take I the, the first passes. part, and then you can take the uh, the second part, because I have personal experience with this. We both do. <laughs> when, when I was in Israel, well, mine a little bit closer than yours. Uh, when we were in Israel, we went to uh, the site, uh, the Pool of Siloam, and uh, I've told this story before. Had this huge iron gate, and uh, uh, Troy Stoko, who was uh, one of the pastors on the tour, was going to teach there at the Pool of Siloam. So I was hanging back, holding the door for the people coming in, one of the last people in. Suddenly, we heard this sound behind us, bang, 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 bang. And I looked up, and a chunk of concrete flying over the wall hit me right upside the head and knocked me over. Now, the interesting thing is this. It hit me upside the head, but I wasn't on my back. When the IDF medic came to me, I was face down because it hit me. I was stunned for a second, stumbled, lost my balance and fell. 
because you were on a decline walking down some stairs from the entrance, correct? Well, no, it was a very flat area. You could be on a decline or an incline, but once you're impacted, uh, it doesn't say, bam, you know, fall over this direction. Why this way and not that way? Well, a lot of different factors can come in there. We don't say, we don't see anything in the text that says Goliath immediately fell or that Goliath didn't do a few staggering steps before he fell. It's pretty clear that it wasn't the smooth stone that killed Goliath. That's what knocked him out. It was David taking Goliath's sword and lopping his head off that did the deed. That will do so, it. So, uh, you know, and especially when you go to the Valley of Elah and actually see it, that's it's a fascinating part yeah. of mm-hmm. any Israel tour because you go down there and you discover it is this, you could see why they would have battles there. Mm. Because the Valley of Elah is just that. There is a flat plain area, and on each side, what, maybe about a 150-foot embankment, the hillock that kind of goes up on either side that forms a plateau on either side. Both armies could encamp on either side, about maybe a quarter of a mile, quarter to half a mile in between those two hills there in the Valley of Elah. But you would go down, and it would be this very kind of flat area that would head down towards the stream bed and then go back up on a gradual way up towards these mountains. Now, mm. whenever anybody goes to the Valley of Elah, they always look around for smooth stones because they think, well, maybe I'll pick up one of David's <laughs> smooth stones here. I have uh, one. We're, we're, we're told by a tour guide who pulled me aside and says, don't let this get out. But after the tours go through on Monday, a uh, pickup truck filled with, smooth stones from a quarry comes and basically dumps them along I there bet, yeah. so that people can have smooth stones. <laughs> but it still could be up. the actual it one. It <laughs> could be. You never know. I mean, it's a stone. It was from Israel. Or no. what, what, 3, what are the odds of that? Years, or 3,200 years. Yeah. Well, it, good it, job in not letting that out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, now the, uh, this, the, yeah, so so much for my abilities and confidentiality. <laughs> Throwing that out the window. Oops. So anyway, I guess to, to answer that question, as someone who has, you know, I've got a t-shirt that said I got stoned in Jerusalem, uh, literally. Uh, and, uh, when you get hit by a projectile like that, you know, it's, you know, the first thing that goes is your sense of balance. And I think I staggered maybe a couple of steps and fell, but I fell face down, not face backwards, even though the impact was pretty much on this side of my head. Yeah. And again, you don't need to have gone to Israel to know the topography of the environment. This is not in first uh, Samuel 17 and verse 49, but first Samuel 17 and verse Three, <laughs> it, or let's start in verse two. It says, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. It lays out pretty eloquently that wherever Goliath was standing and the armor he was covered in, if you say, no, uh, I don't care about your experience, this is a contradiction, no, if you're noting they have a d- incline <laughs> and yeah. decline ahead of them. If he was going to go the way of gravity, you don't need divine intervention. But the second part about him later on going in verse 40 to find five smooth stones, it was an intentional threat against the commanders of the Philistine army. And we're given more details in First Chronicles as well as Second Samuel 21, where David's military exploits are recapped for us. Um, You can read verses 15 through the end of the chapter on your own time, but I'll just note the part that's relevant when it notes the people who killed Goliath and his offspring, his relatives, the translation's a bit iffy. But the point is in verse 19, it notes that they were at war with Gob, with the Philistines, 
where Elhanan, the son of Jerry Organim, uh, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So it was a real heavy stick. And again, they were at war with Gath. That's where Goliath was from where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. So he's got uh, more birth defects than just his pituitary gland. But it notes that he was born to the giant. Note who that giant is in reference to. So Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four, plus Goliath, were born to the giant in the uh, land of Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So the five stones were intentional. I'm going to go after you and your family for cursing my God and my people. Right. And threatening them with slavery. But let's just add fire, <laughs> coals to the fire, if you will. Yeah. Hey, you know, I always uh, that, that account is always so fascinating to me because uh, when I grew up, it was the middle of the Cold War and you know, there was that doctrine of mutually assured destruction and nuclear war and duck and cover drills and all this. And, and inevitably, someone would say, well, why don't we just get the biggest, baddest Russian guy and our biggest, baddest American guy and put them on an island and let them settle it, just, just the two of them. Better two people than, you know, million, billions being killed in a nuclear war. Mm. Well, the problem is, you know, as soon as one of them won or the other one, they'd say, no, 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 best two out of three, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and so I think David was wise enough to know that uh, he didn't need just one stone. There was probably another giant warming up in the bullpen who was ready to take Goliath's place, uh, and and he was prepared for that possibility. Yep. yep. Right. Thank you so much for that question. Thank you guys for the for the answer to that. We have a question from Monica um, about separate groups in heaven: uh, the church, the bride of Christ, are dressed in white linen, mm-hmm. and those who were nineteen, yeah, right, and those who were martyred during the great tribulation were given white robes. I get the impression we will serve the Lord in different ways. Can you please define what this means? Thank you, Monica, for your question. I'm not sure it's the distinction of clothing as distinction of roles, the material and the fact they're all wearing robes. We're meant to reflect that. It's a reference back to Zechariah 4, I believe. But uh, when we're talking about different roles and opportunities in heaven, I think we wouldn't go to the shopping list of their clothes. We would go to... Uh, what they have to answer for in this life. Jesus gave a few parables on this topic, didn't he? Yeah, uh, and uh, you know when we see the book of Revelation, you do see some distinct groups being mentioned there. Uh, you see the 144,000. They are dealt with as a distinct group that's going to be in heaven. Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation 14 deal with that, uh, the, uh, the sealing of them. And then again, the 144,000 in heaven uh, with the Lord, and they have a distinct relationship with the Lord, uh, aside from the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. We also see tribulation saints being mentioned as being in that set of circumstances. In uh, Revelation chapter 6 and uh, verse 9, we see uh, that uh, there was under the altar the souls that had been slain for the word of God, the testimony which they held. And he cried out, O Lord, uh, holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them, they should rest a little while longer till both the number of their fellow servants and brethren would be killed as they were, were completed. So you've got the 144,000, you've got tribulation saints, you've got the body of Christ, you also have redeemed Israel that is there in, uh, in heaven at that particular time. So you have, uh, in essence, four distinct groups. I think in terms of uh, a distinction of relationship, we do see that the 144,000 are rewarded specifically 
by God. They're given a proximity to the Lord that appears to be uh, unique uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 14 uh, as a result of their faithfulness to him. We also see that their converts um, are going to be martyred, probably most of them, and uh, they are going to receive a reward, uh, the white robe, the idea of the righteousness of Christ covering them. In other words, that's really an important thing to emphasize because they're not there just because they died for their faith. They were there because of the one who died to give them faith. Now, they lay down their life for sure for that, but there is an important distinction there. And they're going to be taken care of, and they're going to be rewarded. Old Testament saints, um, you know, go your way, Daniel. You'll have your part in the last days. Uh, when you rise, Daniel, uh, other Old Testament saints are going to be there. But in Revelation 19, uh, there is that distinct group that is mentioned, the Bride of Christ. Uh, and that is us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus during this church age at this particular time. And so, yeah, there are distinctions of groups. Uh, there are distinctions, it seems, in how these groups are rewarded in a superficial sense. But I always just go back to what uh, Abraham, uh, God said to Abraham, uh, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Mm. All of them are going to share the greatest reward of all. Uh, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you've sent. So there does appear to be a demarcation of groups and identifications that people are going to belong to. But uh, as far as salvation, we're all saved the same way. Uh, we're all justified by faith. Uh, we'll all be rewarded in the same way. Uh, and uh, we'll all have a part to play, not just in heaven in the seven-year period, but in the thousand-year reign of Christ and even in eternity. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's not going to be a bad seat. No, in other words, no, yeah, no, no or, or or a second-class citizen in heaven. Right. You know, you're you're really cool, but yeah, you're, you know, so. yeah, very good. Yeah. Monica, thank you for that question. Question from Robert. He said, "Good evening, brothers. Good evening to you too. We're so glad you're part of the the broadcast today. My question is about persecution of the church here in the West. Do you guys see a realistic persecution coming to believers in the West, like it has been in the East? Is there any insight or or a, a foresight of this?" Thanks and God bless. What well, do you think, Sean? I, you can come at this from different angles. If you're saying, is there persecution happening right now, or is there some persecution to be made aware of, or something we should prepare for? Um, I guess all can be addressed pretty briefly. Uh, when it comes to persecution, we need to define our terms. People say, you're not being persecuted. People are giving their lives for their faith in Africa, while you are just getting made fun of or even fired for your faith. You're getting penalized on PayPal for several thousand dollars. Ooh. Well, here's the problem. Any persecution or differential treatment on the basis of belief mm. is persecution. So let's first be fair in that. There are people who suffer to differing degrees, but it's not like the author of Hebrews at the uh, chapter uh, 11 at the end of the section notes, there were some who were martyred, some who had their children taken away from them, others who were impoverished. And he says, but those people who were impoverished, they weren't being persecuted. You know, it's only when uh, blood's being shed does that count as persecution. We need to basically have a little bit more grace when our brothers are hurting for the sake of Christ, that we rejoice with them. We don't shame them for not hurting more for Christ. Let's First, uh, clarify that because I talked to some weird people. The second thing is persecution to prepare for. Uh, obviously, you don't go looking for trouble. Trouble is going to come looking for you. If you live in anticipation and expectation for being hounded for your faith, that's just going to get depressing, if not 
unhealthy. I think the best thing to do is to just look at current events and what's immediately in front of you right now and make wise decisions accordingly. There were uh, reports of food shortages, so what did we do? We didn't say, oh, what was me, I'm going to starve. I started buying non-perishable food storages, and I encouraged you to do the same. Uh, When we started getting, you know, uh, penalized on social media websites and so forth, we didn't say, oh, look at us, what was me? I added a few extra jokes when introducing the broadcast for it, but I also made sure to look at alternatives, and that's why we have our church website live streaming us just in case Facebook and YouTube take us down, which, by the way, yes, that is also persecution. When we're talking about people who are persecuted more than us overseas, uh, Denny, one of our regular listeners, is in a hot spot for that. We support him. We pray for him. We right. give an open channel for him. If there's anything that you need, let us know. But that's the whole point, is the attitude we need to have towards persecution towards us or those in the body. It's rejoice with those who are rejoicing, weep with those who weep. And that's the whole attitude we need to have. But also note Matthew 6 principle, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. T- sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There is persecution happening, and there has been persecution happening since the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven. The degrees at which we're dealing with it should be dealt with on a person-by-person basis, because otherwise we're just going to end up depressed. The consolation for everyone who suffers for Christ, as the Apostle Peter said, is not going to be unnoticed, but rewarded with the crown of life. Now, whether you give your life for your faith, you give your livelihood for your faith, or your life is just harder than most because of your faith, even um, in, uh, I guess, incremental is the word I'm looking for, stages. The Apostle Paul wasn't persecuted 24-7. When he recaps in 2 Corinthians 11 all that he was dealing with, that wasn't his life from that point onward. He was dealing with that stuff, you know, two or three years, uh, his time, I believe, in Corinth. Yeah. Pretty mild. But then he had to leave the city when persecution started up again. It's like, oh, Paul, if you really love Jesus, you would have been persecuted the whole two years. Grow up. Yeah. You know, I think there's an incrementalism that we even see as persecution is described in the New Testament. Hebrews 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, but recall the former days in which uh, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may inherit the promise." Uh, you know, the, the writer of Hebrews earlier says you've not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, there were economic uh, sanctions against Christians. There were Christians being tossed in jail. Uh, but uh, at this point, the writing of the, uh, the book of Hebrews, aside from, say, uh, the apostles and others who were stoned uh, for their faith and, and uh, that we see recorded there, there was no organized societal uh, uh violent uh, persecution of Christians that had happened yet. It was well on its way. That train was coming down the track for sure. But uh, that didn't make what the uh, the people that the writer of Hebrews was addressing, these Hebrew Christians, uh, they're suffering any less uh, significant, noteworthy, uh, valuable in the eyes of God. And that's key. Yeah, and I think that's what you were saying. I think that's the absolute key. Yeah, and also not to demean those who are undergoing any suffering for Christ. They're being given a hard time. 
pray for them, comfort them. Don't shame them and saying, well, there's persecuted Christians in Africa who would love to just be made fun of for their faith. That's about as helpful as the starving kids in China yeah. when you don't want to eat your vegetables. Just Okay, I'll a, send them my vegetables. You, yeah, can, just, you, can, you can FedEx them my vegetables. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. be a Christian. <laughs> care about and pray for people when they're having a hard time for Christ and remind them of the reward there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Robert, thank you so much for being part of the broadcast and for your question. A uh, question from Craig. Let's see, we have about five minutes left of the show here. Uh, when the sacrifice system was given over, it's a question about when the sacrifice system was given over to the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. So the Bible says that the burnt sacrifices were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Is our worship what replaces that aroma going up to the Lord? And prayer. Both are directly mentioned in Scripture as a sweet-smelling aroma to the mm. Lord. The prayers of the saints are also described in the same way that the sacrifices were. Yeah, uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation, uh, we're told that uh, one of the uh, judgments happens when uh, a mighty angel goes to the altar with a bowl of incense, which is described as the prayers of the saints. Now, incense, in this sense, doesn't stink, it's a pleasing smell. It's a pleasing aroma. And uh, when you would light incense, if you've ever seen it, uh, it usually produces some significant smoke that rises up. It's this picture of our prayers going up to God in heaven and producing a positive effect. Now, that idea of an aroma, I think, is really powerful because of all of our senses, there, is, there are a few that actually engage our attention uh, more completely than our sense of smell. Uh, if you smell something either good or bad, it almost turns off everything else. You give your attention almost entirely to that. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, I remember uh, one of the uh, first uh, little love notes I got when I was a kid in junior high, and it had that uh, kind of, I don't know, I don't know what the perfume was, de jour. <laughs> Chanel number four. But, or but it, had, it had some of that on it. And I just remember, like, looking at them just being so amazed that it's this girl like liked me first of all and uh you know would send this along and i never forgot that smell and every once in a while i will be somewhere and i will smell that smell and bang as soon as i smell that smell that memory of getting that little love note comes back to my brain it's just like filed there you know and uh and so when we pray and god says that our prayers are like a sweet aroma what it means is that when we pray it gets god's entire attention in a very positive way. Mm. God loves it when we pray. Uh, you know, again, the, the blessing in uh, Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. It's the idea of someone looking at you and going, that's great. Mm. You know, uh, one of the things I've learned uh, over the years in terms of dealing with babies in church, particularly baby dedications, is this, I have this, uh, you know, one weird trick thing. Uh, if a baby's like uh, fussy or, you know, kind of antsy or something like that or seems scared, the one thing I've discovered is if I take that baby and I go like this, I just raise my head like that and smile. I lift up my countenance to them. It's just amazing. There's almost like this instinct where the baby will go, <gasps> they'll just follow right along. Mm. And, you know, and so, you know, as God lifts up his countenance to us, as he finds our, our prayers pleasing in his sight because we're praying to him, we're praying in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Uh, God has that same reaction, and I think that's why we see uh, that that linking together of our prayers 
like incense, as the psalmist says. May my prayer be like incense. The lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Yeah, and uh, Ephesians 5.2 also mentions uh, walking in love is responded to the same way. In Philippians 4, they donated a gift to Paul, and he described that as well as uh, Epaphroditus sending them along as also an offering to the Lord. So literally any capacity you honor the Lord with in your prayer, in your attention, and your worship, and your giving, that's all responded to the same way sacrifices were responded to in Leviticus 1.9. Yeah. Now, Craig indicates he's an Aussie, so we're going to be praying for Australia. Oh, nice. I'd tell you to repent, but that'd be weird. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're the, the, I've met four Australians in my life. You're of the uh, two I like, so there we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we got another question from another uh, professed Australian. This one I think would be an interesting one for you, Sean, from Dwayne. We have about 30, 30 seconds. seconds. Go ahead. He says, should uh, all of his art be automatically forced to be PG and G as a Christian? Mm. Just know your audience, know the kind of witness that you're trying to make, and I think you'll be fine when it comes to even my own artwork. I set a limit as far as what would stumble me, and of course, I also keep my audience in mind, but just keep Romans 14 in mind. You'll be okay. If people call you out on it, just remind them, hey, you're the one looking for trouble. I didn't make that for you. Yeah, very good. Go. Thank you so much for joining us. What a great hour again. It goes so quick, especially the second half just flies by. Uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can email us questions there, of course, anytime, and we will get to them on our next show. Sean, Scott, thank Scott you. Scott R4H on Twitter. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There. God bless right. you guys. We'll see you next time. Take care. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.